WNYC Studios is supported by Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hey, it's Latte from Radio Lab. Our goal with each episode is to make you think, how did I live this long and not know that? Radio Lab, adventures on the edge of what we think we know. Listen wherever you get podcasts. Are you celebrating Ramadan? I am. What is significant about Ramadan to you? Ramadan is the month that we celebrate uh, mostly self-discipline. So when you don't um, you know, eat or drink for a long time, in sake of uh, obedience of God. It's a test. You, know, you go through a willpower struggle. Mm -hmm. But the practices it comes with its own reward. It's just getting closer to God and forgiveness and just reflection and being a better person. That's what the whole month is about. It's about, you know, sort of coming back to your core, coming back to the religion and, and sort of reaffirming everything. That means for us a lot. That's that teaches us how to be very disciplined that's, and that reflects on our work life and everything. We say Alhamdulillah, you know, you thank God for everything. It's Notes from America. I'm Kai Wright. And Ramadan Mubarak. It's the first week of Ramadan, so that means as many as 2 billion people all over the world are abstaining from food and water when the sun is out. And when the sun sets, they'll take their first bite of food together, which is such a powerful idea to me. But the month is, of course, about much more than fasting. It's about being generous with yourself and with others. And given the fact that the Muslim community is just wildly diverse, the traditions and rituals that emphasize this idea of generosity are often informed by local realities. As people move around and grow with their families, they often start their own traditions that make the holiday personal to themselves. So this week, I'm excited to learn about as many of those new traditions as possible. We're going to spend the show celebrating and trying to deepen our understanding of this holy month. And listeners, we want to hear a ton from you in this show. If you celebrate Ramadan, how are you making the month special for yourself and for your loved ones? What intentions are you trying to set? And how have your traditions changed over the years? For instance, maybe you moved and you can't find the same ingredients for a food you usually eat. Or maybe there's something you did when you were younger and you've stopped doing it as you're an adult or you moved away from your family and have started whole new traditions with new communities, tell us what they are, and importantly, tell us why. Maybe someone who's listening will deepen their understanding of their own celebrations by hearing about yours. And we will be guided through our Ramadan celebration by journalist Ahmed Ali Akbar. He's a James Beard Award-winning writer and the host of Radio Lingo podcast from Crooked Media. 
He's also the creator and host of See Something, Say Something, a podcast about focused on the Muslim American experience. Ahmed, welcome to Notes from America. Thank you so much for having me. Ramadan Mubarak. Ramadan, Ramadan Mubarak. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get my Arabic together by the end of the show. <laughs> um, your handle on both Twitter and Instagram is Rad Brown Dads. That's and right. maybe that's the best way for us to start to learn your story. What's the story behind that name? You have me fresh off of thinking about this concept of Rad Brown Dad, so I'm oh, so nice. glad you asked nice. me that. Um, it was a blog that I started when I was not a Rad Brown Dad. It was in 2014. <laughs> I just posted these photos of dads you know, before they became fathers, immigrant dads who were, you know, wearing like, um, you know, wide lapel suits. You know, they had the baggy leg trousers, all the fashionable stuff before they become became dads. And it's kind of followed me along as a journalist. I kind of, you know, honor my roots as a blogger by keeping that my tag um, on Twitter and everywhere else. Um, but now I actually am a father. And last you are night, now, in fact, a rad brown. You were you were only rad and brown before. That's and now right. you are a rad, right. brown, and a dad. That's right. And last night I had my first experience of an iftar at a mosque with my one and a half year old daughter, Aziza. Oh. And I was sweating, chasing wow. her through the food lines, through, through the prayer lines. She just was having the time of her life. Um, some things never changed because that used to be me when I was a kid as well. Wow. Wow. You also, I think it's important to know, um, you started that blog while you were at Harvard Divinity School. That's um, right. Uh, just briefly, what were you studying at Harvard Divinity School and what did you hope to do with that? Well, I was studying American Muslims. Um, I found our history to be something that at that point was not given justice um, to the full complexity of the story. Like I grew up with um, a lot of converts who had come to Sunni Islam through the Nation of Islam. Um, and they had brought like the civil rights tradition to um, my understanding of Islam. And that was hugely influential to me. And I was troubled in some ways by the way which we told stories about American Muslims that you know, there was a sort of respectability politics happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I, I w- went to grad school to study that, but I found that blogging was actually getting more of the impact and more of the conversations that I had wanted to uh, engage in at that time. Um, and, you know, eventually that turned into like more work as a reporter. Um, I didn't, I didn't actually have, um, much experience as a journalist before that, but I took my academic experience and brought it to, to journalism where, um, for, for many years at BuzzFeed, um, initially I was a reporter on American Muslims through that show you mentioned, see something, say something. Um, and so, yeah, I did a lot of studying of both like the Islamic tradition, but also the history of America and how that impacted American Muslims. Certainly this trade is a faith-based exercise. So, um, I, I, I'm glad you got some grounding (laughs) before you got into it. So you wrote an essay in Catapult magazine a while back about your relationship to Ramadan and how it changed after your mother's death. And it's a beautiful essay uh, about processing grief and finding finding space for joy. And I want to dig into it for a little bit. And you, you were in college when your mother passed, right? That's right. Yeah, I was um, probably 21, I think, uh, uh, when she passed away. She had uh, had a recurrence of cancer that. Um, ended up taking her life over the course of two years. And um, there was a lot of things that I, I kind of, it brought our family together in many ways. It brought me, it was a religiously very difficult time for me, as you can imagine, as a young adult, you're already angry at the world and then you're losing your mother, you know, to something very uncontrollable. Um, so that was like a very emotional and difficult time, but it's very, it's, it's shaped who I am. It shaped my relationship to my religion. She shaped my relationship to my religion. I should also give her a lot of credit that she herself was a writer, um, and, 
uh, as a passion uh, more than as a career. Um, it was something she did on the side, um, and what, she was can, an activist. Can I pause on that? What yes. did she do? Because you say in the essay that you learned your the, the spiritual mysticism uh, of your faith yeah. and of Ramadan from her. What did she teach you? So she taught me pretty much everything, both the, um, there's, there's, there's legal aspects of Islam, but there's also, like you said, the mystical aspects. She was somebody who both believed it was important to know the tradition that were passed down. Um, sometimes people know this as the idea of the sunnah and the fiqh, which is the uh, traditions of the prophet and the legal jurisprudence. But she also was very much into the, um, the love that comes with things like Sufism, um, that, um, Islam is a religion of mercy and, and, and joy as well. Um, and I should say, Kai, that if I'm stumbling, it's because it's towards the end of my fast. So I, okay. I, I'm just, not at my, no, always at my best. So, um, <laughs> but my mother was a huge influence and she also taught me that it was important to share the, our ideas of our religion, that mm. there was a, a diversity of experiences and ours was one. And we, all those voices deserve a platform to um, have a conversation. It's like, I learned a lot about what the democratic process looks like, what multiculturalism looks like by growing up an American Muslim, where mm. there was lots of people with many different intellectual traditions, many different religious traditions, ethnic traditions, cultural traditions, trying to come together at the masjid and like um, figure out what it, this Muslim American experience means. And and she was a guide through that, which is yeah. a lovely thing to have. And, and the essay is is really about your father, um, and you 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 write that you find comfort in his consistency. Des- describe that consistency and in, in what it means for you. Yeah, so I think what I've described, like my mother's uh, lo- love of the mystical elements of Islam. There's also the parts of Islam that are you know, ritualistic, that, that there's this element of the five daily prayers, there's the the 30 days of fasting, there's the obligation to go to Friday prayers, all these things. My father um, was not a big talker about his relationship to his religion, but he did those things. Mm. He was always doing those things and, and bringing me along and encouraging me to do them. And um, despite me never, like, you know, I feel that I still am reaching after the uh, images of my parents that that I, I had from childhood, he was generous with 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 that. That I didn't always succeed, but I made the intention, which I think is something that you mentioned at the top of the show. That the nia, the intention to 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 do better, is is the most important thing. And so I followed him in his consistency. That he um, was always very good at building those habits, and that's something that I hope to emulate. I'm still on that path. I'm still making mm-hmm. the intention to do better, mm-hmm. um, and I and I hope that one day I can be um, as as much of an example as he is to me and others, all, honestly, other people have also uh, said that they admired that about him. If about he's listening, sound like Abu Ramadan Mubarak. Thank you for <laughs> thank you for everything. Oh, Dad, when he had a heart attack, he he had to give up fasting. How'd you react to that change, and and why was it so important to you? So he had a heart surgery. It wasn't quite a heart Sorry. attack, thank, thankfully. That's that's okay. Um, yeah, that was very interesting. He he was it was. There's this idea in Islam that it's not supposed to be hard for you. The religion is not made to be hard for you. So when you are ill, when you are traveling, when you are um, breastfeeding, pregnant, you you are not obligated to fast during those moments. Um, but there was this idea when he's ill in a way that might be permanent, right? That he might not ever be able to fast again. Um, that was an interesting moment of and, and tough moment of grappling again with another parent's mortality. But I'm happy to report, since that essay, that he has gotten another surgery, which has um, helped him um, 
be able to fast. There were complications that he had from fasting that um, caused him to stop fasting. And now he actually is able to fast. So okay. I called him today and I actually had that question. I was like, you are able to fast now, right? And he said, yes, Alhamdulillah, you know, um, thanks to God that I'm able to, I'm able to fast. Um, so, um, you know, he's still very healthy and, and, and doing well. That's a blessing. But, but there was something in the interruption and the change there that you seem to be getting at in the essay that, that, that disquieted you in the time. Um, can, can you try to articulate what that was? Like why, why, it, yeah. why it's I mean, upset I, you? I will say that I'm in a very different headspace than then because I'm a new father. <laughs> and it's like, you're thinking of, I'm thinking about my own mortality, right? Mm. And so like, when you have a child, you think, wow, like I am not going to see, pro- most likely, you know, inshallah, everything goes okay. You, you, I will not be around for their entire life. So, you know, I will, I will, they will have things that they'll take from beyond my own time on this earth with her with her um but at that point i suppose it the idea for me was that i have to build something internally um that you know you have these icons and and people that you admire that you want to you want to follow in their footsteps initially you also have to set up those those expectations for yourself like what am i going to do that i'm going to take and pass on to the next generation so that's really what i'm thinking about now is what is the kind of consistency that i can provide for my daughter so she also has that connection to islam and to to ramadan that i have we'll talk about that after a quick break i'm talking with james beard award-winning journalist ahmed ali akbar and we can take your calls to tell us how you're celebrating ramadan and how maybe it's been changing for you we'll take your calls after a break stay with us Ramadan Mubarak, it's Rahima. If you like the show, you should really follow us on Instagram. Our handle is Notes with Kai, just so you don't miss out on what I'm calling Rahimadan. Basically, it's a series of posts that I'm doing where I'll be sharing what I'm cooking and learning throughout Ramadan. I'll be sharing recipes from Somalia, Indonesia, and Bangladesh, which is where my family's from. And we really want to see what's on your iftar table too. So tag our show's handle, Notes with Kai, to share your Instagram posts with us. We also want to hear about the different ways that you're making Ramadan your own. Send us a voicemail and we may play it on the show. Here's how. Go to notesfromamerica.org and click on the green button that says start recording. That's it. All right. Thank you. I'm at the Baladi Halal Food Market in Brooklyn, and we're going to walk around and ask people about Ramadan. We're from Egypt, so I feel like I came by today to buy a few things just to get maybe some some of the things we eat back home. Growing up in uh, Egypt, it's a kind of Muslim country, majority Muslim country. So Ramadan is much celebrated there in a way like, you know, work less hours work and even school some days off. Like here, it's kind of regular days. So yeah, it takes more like effort for us. Growing up as a child, my Ramadan experiences were at home with my brothers and sisters and my parents and we'd get together at sunset to all eat and feast on the dinner that was made by my mom and she would cook all day while she's fasting. First dinner is at my house. Uh, it used to be at my parents' house, but they, you know, my mom's gotten a lot older so she can't really cook for the whole family any- anymore. And it's 
you know, my four brothers and, and my sister and all the kids. Mm. You know, it's, it's, it's a nice little tradition that we have going. As a kid, it was a lot easier. Right. <laughs> you know, just enjoy, you know, like presents and gifts, uh, great food, didn't have to worry about nothing. Now it's, you know, getting meals prepared, you know, making sure the kids have a good time and they, and they feel like it's a festive time for us. Our kids were born here, so we want to give them some kind of these traditions. So we gather for uh, iftar meal every like weekend. Another thing is we really vamp up the tradition of like Friday family night. Um, just to use the month as like an excuse to get together a lot more than we usually do. It's Notes from America. I'm Kai Wright, and that was our intern, Vanessa Handy, talking with shoppers at a popular food market in Brooklyn on the first day of Ramadan last week. We are celebrating Ramadan this week with James Beard Award-winning journalist Ahmed Ali Akbar. He's the host of Radio Lingo podcast from Crooked Media and also the creator and host of See Something, Say Something a podcast focused on the Muslim-American experience. And we want to hear from you. If you celebrate Ramadan, how are you making the month special for yourself and for your loved ones? Right now, in this part of the hour, I'm particularly interested in hearing what intentions you are setting for the month. Uh, so, Emmett, as the calls come in, before your parents' uh, health changed the month for your family, how did you celebrate Ramadan as a kid? was so much joy. <laughs> it was so much fun in our house. I mean, um, you don't start fasting until you are um, you hit puberty. Um, but prior to that, uh, we would basically all I would still join them at the at the at the morning table at Suhoor or Seri, as as it's called in the um, in Urdu, the language my parents speak. Um, we would all wake up, and my mom would make a fried omelet, toast, and we'd all be sort of in the surreal moment of. Are we really up at three in the morning? Are we really <laughs> up at four in the morning? Like, is this the right time to eat an omelet? Um, and I just remember these moments where my mom would just lose it from laughing. You know, when you've been up on a all-nighter, for instance, you sometimes <laughs> just start get the giggles, right? So, so I just remember have this memory of all me, my two sisters, my father. My father would just drink jai. He wouldn't eat anything, which still blows my mind. He he doesn't have a breakfast during Ramadan besides jai. We would just all be sitting there with the giggles, and my dad would be pacing, and I he would be like, "What are you all?" laughing about and we would be like we don't know we don't know, <laughs> we don't know because it's we're four in the it's four in the morning and we're eating spicy omelets um <laughs> and then you know of course fast breaking we we would go to the mosque every single night for um the taravi or tarawi prayer um and and the evening prayer and 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 um uh, maghrib and isha um they're called the two prayers and um on Saturdays, we would have this amazing tradition I, I want to share, which was the rotating um, iftar. And basically, each week, a different community group of community members would would host. And to me, as a as a food writer, just some of my earliest memories of being exposed to all the amazing different food traditions. So, mm. of, of of the Muslim Muslim world of, of Muslim peoples. So, for instance, of course, there was like the biryani and samosas, ruafsa. Um, a jot that like Pakistanis like myself would bring. But then when the Lebanese community members would host, I, I got introduced to things like tabbouleh, 
Gibby, um, falafel, you know, those are things that I didn't really have very much growing up in mid-Michigan, but they made a special effort to, I don't know if they cooked it or they catered it, but they brought it in. And then the last thing that I I really grew, uh, got a huge love for was the black Muslim uh, tradition of Southern food, soul food. Uh-huh. I was exposed to bean pie, um, which is a, a lifelong love. I'll always eat a bean pie anytime I see it. I'll always purchase it. <laughs> I mean, a there's bean a brother- pie is a good thing. It's good. Cajun fried turkey. There was a there was a brother Bilal who had this smoker. He would do brothers Bilal's famous Cajun fried turkey. I only ever had it at the mosque. So I, I just grew a real love for like all the different ways that halal food can look through those Saturday iftars. That's great. Let's go to Constance from Chicago. Constance, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, uh, Ramadan Mubarak, to both of you Ramadan all. Mubarak, good listening audience. And and how are you celebrating, or how has your traditions changed? Well, um, you know, first of all, I want to say that, you know, uh, my intentions have expanded. I'm, I find myself more reflective on my purpose in life and mm. and what dovetails into that. Three years ago, um, around the time of Ramadan, well, you know, we were in the midst of COVID, and I ended up responding to it by uh, starting uh, a health center in Chicago because there were so many people whose health care needs were underserved. And so I, I find that Ramadan really helped me to not only um, – practice charity, acts of charity during that month, but to, to, to learn that actually that's just a, a starting point to continue those charitable acts, such as the health center that we started throughout the year. Interesting. And can, it, is it a, it, what is the sort of dynamic relationship between these things for you, Constance? It sounds like um, has your faith and Ramadan and tradition helped you um, think more about that kind of service, or is it that because that service is part of your life, it's made you think about that within the context of your Ramadan intentions. I think it's both ways. You know what I'm saying? Because as we are, are in the process of, of providing uh, the services, we're always thinking about, well, how is this rooted in what we're supposed to be doing as Muslims all the time? And and how, and to me, Ramadan just uh, just really energizes, continues to energize uh, us and to motivate us to understand that we're not just doing this, you know, uh, once a year. We're doing this is all part of our, our, our everyday life. And so that's how it's been. You know, I think it's, it's both ways. Thank you for that, Constance. Uh, I, I'm on. I. I I said earlier that Ramadan was uh, was about generosity, being generous with yourself and with others, um, and Constance certainly um, brings that to mind. How does that idea show up in the celebration and ritual of Ramadan? So there's a one of the five major p- p- pillars of Islam is zakat. It's this two approximately two point five percent of your um, yearly income, you you or, or rather your, your savings. Um, you're supposed to donate it to charity to a certain number of of eligible uh, donation sites. There's different categories. I'm, I'm not a legal scholar, so I don't want to uh, <laughs> misspeak completely. But um, essentially, it's 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 a yearly obligation of donation, and people consider the month of Ramadan to be a time in which blessings are multiplied um, for everybody, right? So there are people who also are not eligible to give zakat because they don't make enough income, and so for everybody, it's a time in which Many people pay their zakat during this time because it supports the community members who 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 need support during a, a difficult time. Um, and um, it also is what 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 Constance described. This institution building, I think, is very common amongst American Muslims. I'll say that there are times where the projects that start during Ramadan become year long. Um, 
endeavors. And I, I saw that also, you know, speaking of COVID, I wrote a, wrote a piece uh, uh, on food and wine about some of the food drives that happened during the first COVID Ramadan um, and how those people have continued to do that over the years. I can think of um, Saffron Detroit, which is a restaurant in Detroit, which has mm. shut down entirely during during um, COVID and was doing first responder meal kits and, 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 and different kinds of food drives and continues to do some of that work today. And feeding others is part of this as well, right? Is right. what is, uh, and I may mispronounce it, but what is fidia? Uh, faria. <laughs> um, I, I think of uh, fidia, maybe. Fidia, <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So it's this idea of feeding other people, right? This is a huge. If you go to any Muslim person's home, it's it's a, it's a constant practice, right? This idea of of feeding other people, but also the other element that I want to mention is when I earlier that um, if you're fat, if you aren't able to fast, I did say that there are eligible reasons not to fast if you're sick. It's not that it's just marked off. You still are obligated to feed somebody or to make it up. So those are the two ways that you can make up a fast is do by doing that uh, uh, fidaya and, 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 and feeding somebody else, um, or you can make it up at a later date. So, so you can see how they're tied hand in hand that fasting shows an individual thing, but it's, it's related to the community, right? There's this, there's this idea that um, we're all uh, supporting each other in spiritual nourishment in, in physical nourishment um, during this time. Let's go to Adna in Chicago as well. Adna, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Ramadan Mubarak to everyone. Ramadan Mubarak. Back to you. What do are you do you have an intention you're setting or or, or a way that your rituals have changed? Yeah, actually, funnily enough, I'm just on my way to my brother's house. We're having a little cousin's iftar. I have uh five nieces and nephews who are one, four, six, seven, and nine years old. So Ooh. especially those couple older ones are um starting to get more involved in observing the month. And so um, we're trying to figure out what that looks like for them. Um, I remember as a kid in, it must have been second grade, and my teacher had asked me to share with the class what Ramadan was about and, and Eid. And I remember saying, oh, on Eid, um, my, my dad goes and prays, and then afterwards all the men give the kids so much money. And that's a lot of education. Well, that's what my brain decided to fixate on. Um, but <laughs> in the attempt to kind of expand on that for the younger kids now, we yeah. have a little craft, like making um, a mosque out of a paper bag, and inside, whenever they do something kind or good, to write it down, and we can reflect on um, on Eid, to bring, pick out those pieces of paper and read um, what they have done and how it doesn't have to be limited to this month. Like everyone has been saying, it's not an all or nothing type of deal. It's an opportunity to set the foundation to, to create those new habits. Um, and of course, to not be hard on yourself in the process. Not be hard on yourself. Thank you so much for that, Adna. Um, I struggle with that a lot, by the way. I'm very hard on myself in this month. What, how <laughs> so? Would it, would it, no, no. How so? How, how are you hard on yourself in this month? I suppose I, I really admire both of these last two callers for their energy, for their enthusiasm, um, you know, and I think those people are inspirations to us during this month. But there are, I, I will say on my own, for pers- personally for me, it's very challenging to get things done. It's very challenging to get my work, to do my daily work. And so these, uh, I love that these people are going above and beyond. Um, and, you know, that's sort of, I set always set an intention to to, to do better, to, to bring more and bring more onto my plate. Um, and I think, 
by doing it together the way the last two callers have done it in, in community, that's really the, the best way to do it. And I think essentially, Kai, I mean, I was when I was in New York, I was a little bit more isolated, I, I, I guess, from my family. Um, and that was also like a huge factor in, in making this time a challenging time, but a time in which I really still invest in myself to, to make myself better. Um, I actually have a piece that's coming out about this with America's Test Kitchen's Proof podcast, which will come out in April. Um, that's about, you know, setting new intentions as a dad so that the, the, the challenges that I've had with Ramadan, I don't pass them on to my daughter. Mm. That she has that same joy that the last caller and my own parents are doing for did for their kids where um for instance the that eid day that she mentioned at our mosque we had a bag this plastic bag that was worth its weight in gold of kit kats doritos fritos <laughs> that were given out to the kids you know kids were bartering them back and forth and it was just such a joyful time that i i think on such with such good memories and somebody set that tradition right that's not like an islamic tradition it was just a local thing so these these ways in which you're investing in like all right let's 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 feed kids let's make it fun for the kids uh let's uh, invest in in, in in charitable works let's work in invest in institutions these are all what Ramadan is about, what the reminder of Ramadan is about. What are, I mean, as a new rad brown dad, <laughs> yeah. um, what, what are your intentions then now and how are they different? Um, I, you know, I hear you saying you don't want to pass on whatever frustrations you had in the past or the ways you struggled with Ramadan, yeah. but um, in a proactive way, what are, what are your intentions now for this year with, as a rad brown dad? I, I think I, 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 I I'm, intending to really settle roots in a community. Um, when I was in New York, I had a, a couple of different communities that I, I would I would um, kind of move around, um, like the Islamic Center and NYU, and then some local places in Harlem where I used to live. Now in Chicago, I have something that is really in my neighborhood and is investing in the, in the local neighborhood and is a place where I can take her um, regularly. She can meet other kids. Um, that's really important to me. Um, and to volunteer as well at those institutions because it is, you know, very close to me, thankfully. Uh, and I, I suppose also some of the health aspects. I think the other element that I want to say is like this, you know, a very, this is one of the things that you'll see on the Muslim internet is how do you keep your sort of physical fitness going during this time? And a lot of people, <laughs> some people work out in before the fast start, some people work out right before or right after. For me, that none of that has worked. So I'm committing this year to just doing an uncle walk, putting my hands behind my back and pacing my apartment <laughs> like my dad did. That's like, that's like keeping being easy on myself that, you know, like doing 15 or 20 minutes of walking during the fast in my house or more is, is a, is an investment in my, in my physical health as well. And, and keeping, keeping, you know, the rest of the year, all the, all the effort I've done and, you know, keeping healthy going. So, you know, we've got a couple of minutes before we have to take a break, but I, one of the things I want to ask you about is that you, you, a lot of your work as a journalist has been about celebrating and exploring the sort of the plurality of Muslim culture, yes. which yes. we're hearing even here in this show. Um, and I do think that diversity may be something that many non-Muslims fail to see. Can you just talk briefly about the breadth of it here in the United States? Sure. Um, so I think that iftar, uh, the rotating iftars that I mentioned earlier, is a great example of that. Um, uh, that everyone has a completely different tradition. There's family traditions, there's cultural traditions, there's regional traditions as well. Um, you know, this this thing that I mentioned of that there was um, one of our community members did a Cajun fried turkey. Um, that Bilal's famous halal Cajun fried turkey. Um, this was local to us. This was a local tradition in Saginaw, Michigan, where I grew up. And 
it it became part of our Ramadan ritual. Sadly, Brother Bilal has passed away, so I no longer mm-hmm. have access to that. But it, it, there's a ways in which these these become part of our experience. Um, but also, I, I, having reported on this for many years, there's also people. There's um, the long history of. Um, black American cuisine at, at, at masjids around around the United States. We'll see. Um, like last night, I, I had some great mac and cheese and 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 and, and collard greens. That was delicious. Um, but also, there's also all the immigrants bringing the d- wide diversity of of their experiences. So, like I was very, I learned a little bit today about the East African um, Indian Muslim community from a from a source I talked to that they have this thing called kukupaka, which is a um, like a, a smoky chicken uh, coconut based curry, uh, which you know it's it's smoked with coals and that's delicious. <laughs> Never heard of that before. Can't wait to try it one day during Ramadan. It sounds delicious. Uh, we need to take a break. I'm talking with James Beard Award winning food journalist Ahmed Ali Akbar about Ramadan and the ever-evolving traditions of this holy month in a wildly diverse Muslim-American community. Coming up, we'll take more of your calls and talk more about the food. What are you eating and why? And how has that changed over the years? Stay with us. Do you ever feel like there's nothing new in the news? You know, like there are urgent things happening in the world, but all you hear is noise. That's where What Next comes in, a daily news show we love from Slate. They tell you the stories you haven't heard before or a different side to the stories you thought you already knew. Join host Mary Harris every day as she cuts through the noise so that together we can all figure out what next. Follow and listen wherever you get your podcasts. It's Notes from America. I'm Kai Wright. We're celebrating Ramadan this week. It's day four of the holy month for Muslims all around the world. Uh, And we are talking with Emmet Ali Akbar, food journalist and uh, host of the Radio Lingo podcast. Uh, And we're taking your calls. We want to hear from you about your intentions. We want to hear from you about if you celebrate Ramadan, about how your traditions have changed over the years. Um, And we're about to start talking about what you are eating. Uh, But before we get to more calls, I do want to also bring in somebody else, Emid. One of our producers, Rahima Nasa, who you have met uh, and is going to check in on a project she's working on. Hey, hey, Rahima. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> Very good. So Rahima is doing this cool thing where she's taken over our show's Instagram account for the month to share her own Ramadan with all of you, dear listeners. Uh, and Rahima, why, why are you doing this? Well, as a kid, I remember my parents really going all out, um, you know, just making lots of different foods and all these people would be in our house, and they would sit on the floor of our living room, and it was just a really memorable time. But since I've gotten older, (laughs) I've gotten further away from all of that, Um, and my Ramadans have just always creeped up on me. So I thought, you know, if I documented this journey on Instagram, it'll help keep myself accountable and also just, you know, find that joy again I felt as a kid. Why do you think it crept away from you, as you put it? 
you know, like, you know, as you get older, there's work, there's jobs, there's all this stress that comes into your life, and you're just, like, not thinking about it. It's, like, not as front of mind, as opposed to when you're a kid and there's someone else, like, your parents kind of doing the making of the food for you and, like, making an effort to make it special. Okay, so then what are you exactly going to be doing with our with our show's Instagram account then? Okay, so every Monday, I am going to be making a post or a video. Um, and some of the posts are going to be about me cooking a Ramadan dish from a different culture. Others will be about, you know, what I'm thinking and doing throughout the month. Um, the first one is going to come out tomorrow, and it's actually about me going to the grocery store in Bay Ridge, Baladi, which is the one we heard on the show earlier. Um, and about, like, what foods I'm drawn to and what that whole experience is like. Um, and then the following week, I'm planning on cooking two dishes from Somalia by Ifra Ahmed. Uh, one is this, like, honeycomb cheese bread called ruti formaggio, and another is this, like, fava bean stew. Um, mm-hmm. And I really want our listeners on the show to share what's on their iftar table, and I hope they do that. Okay. So, listeners, follow along and chime in. Our handle is Notes with Kai. That's K A I, if you don't know how to spell my name. Uh, you can follow Rahima's journey. And when you post your own meals, tag the show's handle so Rahima can see it. Again, that's Notes with Kai on Instagram. And thank you, Rahima. Thank you. Okay. So, let's go to Minneapolis. Let's go to Tofik in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Welcome to the show. Yes, uh, thank you very much. Ramadan Mubarak, everyone. Back to you. And d- d- am I pronouncing yeah, your name um, correctly, first off? Yes, correct. That's Wonderful, right. thank you. Go right ahead. Yeah, yeah. you know, you know, uh, I, I agree with the idea of uh, there is plurality of traditions within the Muslims from a regional and country perspective. But, you know, the core principle uh, for the, is the same for all Muslims. And, you know, that's to... Uh, besides um, different foods, uh, it is to devote your time and your spiritual exercise to, you know, to one of the five pillars of Islam, which is fasting uh, from, you know, uh, all day. And, and that somehow kind of builds the habit of um, becoming a, you know, better worshiper and, and helping the people in need. And, and you know, for me, um, I, I grew up... Um, as a Muslim, within a Muslim, largely Muslim society, uh, you know, one of the guiding principles that I, I you know, is a self-discipline, which is something uh, that Ramadan requires uh, mm-hmm. to have that discipline, to fast, and to always, you know, be closer to God and also give charity to those who need the most. Well, thank you for that reflection, Tufik. And, and, and Emmett, I, what I hear, the point here is that, like, we're talking about the diversity of uh, of the experience, but there is a common through line here. Um, right, right. Yeah, and I think that's an incredible thing that I I, I, I learned about Islam in, in my time at uh, Harvard Divinity School and, you know, through my, through mosques, is, is this idea that, um, for my Islamic education, like, through, through, through the mosque system is, you know, essentially that there are many schools of thought in Islam. Like, for instance, I'll speak for my own practice. I'm a Sunni Muslim. There's there's four legal schools of thought that are that are widely recognized, and they have different interpretations of things. And yet, they're despite the fact that they may disagree on, for instance, like what sort of things may um, invalidate your fast, they still 
come together and agree that the different interpretations are are correct. So the caller has very made a very 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 good point in, in the sense that there, there's there's a core element that that unites us all, but we also ex- accept that there can be some difference in opinion and still come together and do this practice at at, at its core. It's it's still shared. Um, and, and there's some, some very basic things like the core pillars of Islam that are shared and agreed upon, for instance, as a Sunni Muslim in those, in those four schools of thought. All right. Well, okay. Let's, let's dive into the food though. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and I'm sorry if that sounded flip, but I've been no, promising. No, I, I'm almost about to break my fast guy. I'm, I'm barely holding on here. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we have, we have an award-winning food writer with us. So I do want to... You grew up. You're, you're Pakistani American. You grew up in the Midwest. These are how did these two parts of your identity shape what was on your table during Ramadan? Right. Um, well, uh, I'll start with um, perhaps an un, like a slightly unusual thing, which is not what we would have when we break the fast, but after the the night at the mosque, we would always go to. My parents, Dairy Queen. They ran a Dairy Queen, and so the kids, of course, I think I've told. We said many times how they try to make it a time of joy for 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 kids. So um, you know, there, there wasn't much in the way of South Asian food. You couldn't really go out for Pakistani food or or Lebanese food or or really much halal food at all um, in, in in my childhood. Um, so this Dairy Queen was actually halal in some items. So that was a, <laughs> the one place where we could go because our, my parents ran it. Um, and you could get like, for instance, a halal uh beef bacon burger um and okay. I, that ice cream run after um after prayers was really um become it has become a lifelong tradition for me <laughs> when i'm out with my friends I, after we ha- break our fast i always just start, so anybody want ice cream and everyone's like <laughs> after that breaking fast you want to have ice cream i'm like yeah i'm just so used to it now um so so that's a major part of it and of of course like I think we we also went to Taco Bell for our for our sahurs because there was nothing open at four a.m. in the morning, right? What was the only place that you could go to? Taco Bell and IHOP. And IHOP. Um, Rahima and, has said that IHOP is a is a very important place to be at four a.m. during Ramadan. I couldn't understand it why because it's it open. Is. It's open because it's open. It's not that it's the most delicious place, but I will say that things have changed, that there are spots that are opening up um, in different locales. One very infamous and famous place and that has great uh, coffee is Kahwa House, which is a Yemeni uh, coffee shop. I think it's it's in Detroit, it's in New York, it's it's in Chicago. Um, anytime I talk to sources about what their um, you know, Sahur ritual is, they say Kahwa House is the most packed and popular place on a night for young Muslims. Um, so things have changed, you know, despite the fact that there wasn't much access for me uh, besides the Taco Bell and IHOP. There are places run by mostly Muslim Muslims who are kind of catering to that to that need of young Muslims to have a place to go. Because that's really what happens, like, for instance, in my parents' home country of Pakistan. You could really stay up from your fast-breaking to your your suhoor, your beginning of your fast, and the restaurants would all be open. And you could you could eat there, you could go out, you could go to the mosque. Like, you can really choose what, what your Ramadan will look like. Right. Um, if you want to stay home and also pray, that's also, like, a huge, hugely important part. I want to emphasize that a lot of people... St- you know, have a very strong spiritual spiritual practice that they engage in, where they they stay at home, they read Quran, and you know th- these are all the different ways that people engage engage in Ramadan. Let's go to Foizel in Queens. Foizel, welcome to the show. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam. Um, yes, um, I have uh, decided to send a lot of money to Bangladesh for people who are starving. They're having 
difficulties uh, because of the high inflation all over the world. Mm. And uh, usually every year I do throughout the year, but this year in the Ramadan, I have uh, increased my donation. So I send money to my uh, friends over there. They're feeding people every day. I want to stay committed to that. Faisal, are you, are you Bangladeshi? Yes, I'm from Bangladesh. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. And and what at what point did you look up and say, you know, oh wow, this is this year is particularly tough. Um, at what point did you say, you know, this is a particularly tough year for people? I want to really be giving. Yeah, I have been preparing for this uh, for the last two three months, saving some extra money hmm. because I knew this would be very difficult this year uh, because of the inflation. Even shopping here for us is very expensive. It's three, four times. Over there, their income has not increased. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a vast number of people are very poor. I would say about 80 to 90 million people are really uh, destitute. So mm-hmm. I see it in my village, around the town, everywhere. People are struggling. I know them. In, you know, personally, I know them. Right. Well, thank you for that. Go ahead. Go ahead, Emmett. Well, just I, I know that staples like rice, flour, lentils, which are, you know, are very nutritional but affordable things have gotten to the point where families across South Asia, you know, I've seen it in other places from my only f- family members have mentioned that the price of these staples has really gone up. So f- even feeding a family is just extremely challenging with the, with the inflation. So I w- I'd like to echo his point for sure. Yeah. Well, let's dig into that just for a little bit too. I mean, it... it you mentioned COVID um, and the way that people rallied um, in the moment of COVID. Uh, it, it has been a really, it's been a challenging few years for the globe. Yeah. Um, yeah. For, for, for all the world. Us. Yeah. Um, and I wonder how that in general has changed. Has that changed? Has, have you seen sort of broader changes to this celebration that maybe focus more on the kind of things that Foisel is doing? You know, I, I feel that, it's it's a mix because of certainly I, I saw a lot of people focus on educational stuff using Zoom that I, I think um, has maybe somewhat fallen by the wayside, but maybe those lessons have have followed through where people are more um, intentional about inclusion, about trying to broaden their 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 reach beyond their local communities, but to um, the internet and. Um, you know, it's it's a little hard to say. I, I will say that you know, I I feel like masking practices at iftars are are not the greatest, sadly to say. Um, but it's it's hard to stop people from wanting to congregate and 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 yeah. and, 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 and and share their joy. Um, I also wanted to mention one other thing that I think would be a good good kind of indicator of the times, which is you know, like I said, there's a lot of charity during this time, as the last call, caller mentioned. There's pl- websites like LaunchGood, which hosts a lot of different individual fundraisers. It's kind of like a Muslim Kickstarter, and you'll mm-hmm. see that. There's a lot of you know 30 days of Ramadan. You'll see what people are kind of um, specifically working on supporting during this time. And you, you, I think if you go there, you'll really see the, the answer to some of your questions, Kai. I don't have the, a, a great answer to you right now, but I would say like that would be the place I would see like what are what are the kind of things that people are looking to support? What are the institutions that people are looking to build? In your uh, essay in Catapult that we talked about earlier about your parents and their health, food comes up there too, but also. It's something that feels related to what we're talking about here. Your your father, you'd write about your father's distaste for waste um, and, <laughs> yeah. and, and how you struggle with the push and pull of consumption alongside his distaste for waste. Just talk to me about that a little bit and what he is trying to teach you. 
Well, it's interesting, right, to, to come from two different kinds of societies, one in which waste is, you know, for Pakistanis, waste is a huge, huge uh, taboo. You know, I, I was... I would say roasted for the fact that there was chicken left on my bone, that there was rice left on my plate, like a single grain of rice, you know. Um, my parents were very quite nice about it, but they kind of gave me, you know, this is an American kid that he he hasn't finished every every grain of rice on on, on his plate. Um, but on the other hand, we live in a society in America where overconsumption is is a huge part of life. The the sizes that we get are are much beyond what what we really need and, and it causes a lot of waste. And food I've also reported on food waste for the solvable solvable podcast which you know like 50% of our food before it even reaches us is is gone to waste and that that is just a system that i think muslims in general um and and everyone should find abhorrent that we so much people are hungry when when so much is going to waste um and you know, despite that, you feel guilty when you get, uh, you know, uh, some a ridiculous size portion when in your in your DoorDash order or your takeout order, and you don't finish it. But it, you know, it's it's a little bit of both. Like we we there's a there's a contradiction, I think, of of living in America where where we have so much and yet there's still so much inequality. Mm. And it sort of comes together. It sounded like for you, at least for a period in Ramadan. I mean, you paint this picture of you and your siblings carrying out these mounds and mounds of food, yeah. and your yeah. dad being like. Like, what is all this? <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's right. Yeah, that's right. So, so, so we always grew up feeding people, right? But the thing that happens, I, I learned now that I'm an adult and I'm, I'm somebody who has fed many people is when you do a party, you have to be very good at, at, at you don't want to have not enough food because you want to be able to feed people, but you don't want to have so much food that it all goes to waste. It's a very mundane thing, but it takes on a, a religious quality for, for a spiritual quality for, for, for a lot of Muslims that, you know, we have to have a place to give this food. So if we're going to host for people, it should be in the spirit of feeding and not the spirit of over of, of, of waste or or ex, uh, extravagance. And mm-hmm. there is a tension there, I think, during Ramadan that we are caught up in the in the in all the joy that um, communities really struggle with is what do we do with the extra food? What do we do if? But then there's also the other aspect I will say, which is that sometimes many people show up to mosques because it's the only place they can get. A, a iftar meal that is you know nutritious and 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 they have a community that can support them um so there, there's there's a lot of complicated tensions around food and waste uh-huh. here that um you know i'm still grappling with i think many people grapple with Ahmed ali akbar is a james beard award-winning journalist he's host of the radio lingo podcast from crooked media and the founder and host of see something say something a podcast about the muslim american experience Thanks so much for this time and Ramadan Mubarak. Thank you so much, Kai. I'm such a big fan. I'm so happy to be here. (laughs) Oh, we are happy to have you. And thanks to everyone who called in. As always, you can still talk to us at notesfromamerica.org. Just look for the little green record button on the homepage and leave a voice message right there. And please do join our producer, Rahima Nasa, for her ongoing Ramadan takeover of our Instagram our show's handle is Notes with Kai. That's Notes with K-A-I. Rahima is exploring the many foods of the Muslim diaspora as she breaks fast throughout the month. And you can join her by tagging us with your pics of whatever you are cooking. That's Notes with Kai on Instagram. Notes from America is a production of WNYC Studios. Follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Our theme music and sound design is by Jared Paul. Milton Ruiz was our live engineer this week. Reporting, editing, and producing by Karen Frillman, Vanessa Handy, Regina Dehir, Rahima Nasa, Kusha Navadar, and Lindsay Foster Thomas. Andre Robert Lee is our executive producer, and I'm Kai Wright. 
Thanks so much for spending this time with us. Ramadan Mubarak. WNYC Studios is supported by the Center for Black Literature, presenting the 17th National Black Writers Conference, All That We Carry, Where Do We Go From Here? 50-plus writers, including Percival Everett of American Fiction, Michael Eric Dyson, Kevin Powell, Edwidge Danticott, Karen Hunter, Mark Lamont Hill, Bettina Love, and Patricia Spears-Jones, and more, will address book banning, social justice activism, environmental racism, expanding the historical narrative, and the need for emotional healing. March 20th through 23rd at Medgar Evers College in Brooklyn, New York. Registration information and more is at centerforblackliterature.org.